You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. This morning, we are really excited to start a new series called Culture Defined. And this is a series of messages that God's been putting on our hearts for several months now um, to solidify and establish in our church the culture that we feel like God has called us to create and cultivate in our church family. Do you know your culture creators? Actually, every human on the planet creates some sort of culture around them, an atmosphere and environment around them. As kingdom people, though, we have a mandate to create culture. God has called us to be influencers, to be light in the darkness, to be culture creators. And you and I, we have that, we have that opportunity. And so this series has a two-part purpose. One is to give us an opportunity as a pastoral leadership to highlight certain priorities that we feel like God has called us to prioritize in this season as we define the culture of our church. The second purpose of this series is to empower you as followers of Jesus, as people with Holy Spirit living in you, to leave this place and be conscious of the culture that you create in the different spheres that God places you. To not be passive about that, to not be uh, thoughtless about it, but instead to take ownership of the responsibility that you have to be people of influence, to be culture creators in every sphere that God places you. And that mandates upon every single person in this place. So culture creators. I don't, I don't feel like uh, we always take note of culture around us because it's just part of humanity, part of being human. We take it for granted. It's like the air that we breathe. It makes every part of, of every day happen, but you don't necessarily take conscious note of it. It just affects everything that we do. It's like gravity. It's like this invisible force influencing everything that we do, grounding us as a people in, in, in social circles, drawing us together. That's culture. For you, maybe you've traveled to, uh, to another country, and it's not until that moment that you took note of the cultural differences that exist, that what you thought was normal is not normal everywhere you go in the world. I remember traveling for the first time to a country where they drive on the wrong side of the road. It's like, what is going on? This is anarchy. They're driving on the wrong side of the road. Or I remember traveling to the nation of Trinidad, and there they don't use utensils as much. They like to, use, they like to eat with their hands, and that's how they encourage us to eat. They're like, you know, you grab your bread, and you, you, you get in there and get dirty with your, with your hands. So it's like, that, that's interesting. Or if you travel to some countries, they, they use the horn of the, the car like it's its own language, right? And in the Midwest, that's like, that's a sin if you use your horn. Sometimes, you know, if I just use a little polite horn, you know, someone stopped at a green light, my kids are like, Dad, why are you so angry? Sorry. See, the Midwest like niceness is just bred into us at the youngest of ages. But you go to other countries, and it's rude not to use your horn. You know, if you're if you're going through an intersection, if you're passing a person, you're always honking. It's just like it's a form of communication. It's a language in itself. But many times we don't we don't take note of those things until we we get out of our culture and we step foot into another culture, and your eyes are open. You're like, oh wow, culture is powerful. It's like the air that we breathe. It's like it's like gravity. This invisible force. Culture is all around us. And I want us to be intentional as kingdom people to the reality that people are going to step foot into our church community. And our prayer is that they would recognize something different. Because we're of a different kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he invited us to be a part of this kingdom. 
And therefore, when people step foot into our community, not just our building, but our in, in our community, in all of its facets, and all of its faces, that people would experience something different. And there's a family from our church that took us into their, into their home. And you think your, your family is just a normal family and everyone does family the same way. But I remember my eyes being open to the way people do family. I remember us gathering around the table at their, at their home and we prayed the prayer of blessing for the food. And we, at their home, we'd hold hands when we'd pray. And after they prayed the prayer, they said this weird chant and it scared me. They said, squeeze, 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 I love you. And we're all like, what? What's going on? They're squeezing my hands and they're telling me they love me. I mean, it was, it was great, but for our family, that was, that was not normal. This was a different cultural experience for me. I remember two of the kids, they had three kids in their home. Two of the kids, notoriously, would get up in front of the TV and about you know, 10 or 12 inches from the TV, they'd watch TV like this. I don't think that's good for your eyes or your brain. But that's the way, that was for them, that was normal. And we'd be, you know, more at what I thought was a normal distance, back at the couch length, but they were right up there. For them, that was normal. It was an eye-opening experience. And our prayer is that when people step foot into our church family, they would take note of these things. Their curiosity would be piqued. They'd be drawn to the Lord in his counterculture kingdom. Amen? We're culture creators. So this morning, I want us to talk about the first value that we're going to highlight over the next five weeks. Value number one, it's the presence of God. The presence of God. So I'm going to start by defining the language that we use. And every single week, we'll define the language that we use. Because in culture, language is really, really important, right? Culture is, I mean, language is is kind of the, the, the fabric of culture, the words that we use, and this is a word, the presence of God, that I realize flies biblical concept, and, and, but it's such a thoroughly, centrally uh, biblical concept and, and phraseology that I want to take time to define it this morning, because it's so important to the DNA of our church, the presence of God. From beginning to end of, this, of the redemptive story, we see the presence of God. And I, and I want us as a people to understand when we say that, the presence of God, that we understand what we're talking about. The, the, the definition I continue to come back to, you see on the screen behind me, the, the two definitions that I continue to come back to. One is an awareness of God's present reality. The fact that he's not a theory, he's not a, a distant reality, but he's a present reality in this moment. That's God's presence. The second definition is a reality, the dominant reality of God's rule and reign in a a place or a moment. You know, nothing takes God off the throne. He always reigns. He always rules. There's nobody that can argue with that, that, no one that can take him off his throne. But when when he actually is recognized in a place, in a moment, in a person, that he sits on the throne, that he rules and reigns with authority and with perfection, that changes the atmosphere of a place. And I like to refer to that as the presence of God, and we'll take note of that throughout Scripture this morning. This, this concept of God dwelling with us is so central to the redemptive story. I want to highlight it this morning, because this isn't just a buzzword, the presence of God, to help us like, manipulate a moment. This is thoroughly, thoroughly gospel, thoroughly Bible. So we start back at the very, very beginning in Genesis. God creates humanity. All the rest of creation, he said, was good. When he comes to creating humanity, he says it's very good. Because what is it that sets us apart? It's he created us in the image of God. 
And, and a major aspect of our image bearing is our capacity for relationship with God. That he didn't create us to, to keep his distance, but instead he created us to actually come and dwell with us. And that's the picture we see in the garden. That God actually created where it's space for him to come and dwell with us. And we see this picture in Genesis chapter 3 where it says that God walked through the garden in the cool of the morning. That's the picture of relationship, friendship with humanity. But obviously, you probably know what happened in the story. We broke that through our own willful disobedience, our own rebellion. Every single one of us have done that. We've chosen to go our own way, chosen to try to do life outside of relationship with God. And so the rest of the biblical story is God's, is God's plan of redemption to restore what was broken through sin. And so as you continue to fast forward through the redemptive story, obviously the climax of the story so far has been Jesus, Son of God, revealing himself in the flesh. And what does the prophet Isaiah say Jesus will be called? He'll be called Emmanuel, God at a distance? No, God with us. Jesus is that, that, that the, uh, the essence of God coming and dwelling with humanity again. Obviously, he gives his life on the cross. And he provides a way for you and I to be restored into relationship with God. You continue to fast forward through the story. You get to the, the book of Revelation, of which has yet to happen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. As the apostle John is taking note of, of all that is yet to come. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's where he's taking us, to an even greater degree than what we experience on the earth here and now. There's coming, in a, there's coming a day when, the, when in the fullest sense, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He says, they will be my God and I will be, I mean, I will be their God and they will be my people. Just this place of perfect relationship and perfect communion with God. And so you and I here in the 21st century, we're kind of in this in-between between Jesus revealing himself as God with us and our final end in some future age when the dwelling place of God will be with man in its fullest sense. We're in this, present, or in this kind of in-between stage. What theologians like to call the kingdom of God that it's here but not yet. It's present but not yet. It's like we, we get to taste and see it in certain aspects and certain dimensions, but it's not fully here. And so the presence of God and and being uh, aware of God's present reality is of the utmost importance as followers of Jesus, as kingdom people, because we're kind of caught between worlds. The spirit of this world and the, the spirit of the kingdom of God. The spirit of God. And so as followers of Jesus, as people with the Holy Spirit living in us, we have to cultivate this awareness of God's reality and what that means in a moment or in a place. I know a common question people ask is, as we as we use that, the phrase, the presence of God, or the way we pray, even this morning, we said, Holy Spirit, come. Presence of God, come and have your way. We throw out our agenda, God, come and have your way. How does that prayer make any sense if God is everywhere at the same time? I wanna break this down for you. This morning, I'll just present to you three different aspects of the presence of God, three different levels or tiers or aspects of the presence of God. One is the reality that God is everywhere at the same time. The furthest reaches of the universe right now is the universe is still expanding. He is there, and it requires zero effort on his part. He's just there. He just is. He's everywhere at the same time. As we read about just a few weeks back in Colossians 1, he holds literally everything in the universe together. 
So it's no, it's no struggle for him to be there on the, other, on the furthest reaches of the universe and then for him to find this little speck um, in part of the Milky Way and for him to be present here. It requires no effort. He's everywhere at the same time. And oftentimes we think of God in that way. And so that's what maybe makes that prayer sound maybe pointless. But we see biblically other expressions of his reality. The second is the reality the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. As followers of Jesus, as things are made right through our faith in Jesus Christ as our perfect uh, sin solution, the, the, the sufficiency for our sin issue, as we place our faith in him in that capacity, Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. This miracle happens of being born again. What was dormant, which is, which, that which was dead, Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, it is of the utmost importance that we cultivate a greater awareness of what that means. That that's not just a, a doctrinal, creedal um, philosophy or idea, but that is a present reality. You know, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to actually live inside of you. So that's the second aspect of the presence of God. A third aspect of the presence of God we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are moments where Holy Spirit just comes and visits a people in a demonstrable, in a demonstrated way, manifests himself in a way beyond what we normally see. We see that in you know, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 1 Kings chapter 8, same story told in two different accounts where Solomon's dedicating the temple. The presence of God so fills the temple. So obviously he's present everywhere at the same time. But in this, in this moment, the presence of God so fills the temple, the priest can't even enter. Everyone falls to their knees. Because the presence of God had demonstrated himself in some way beyond just what normally exists because he is who he is. We see in Psalm 22, verse 3, the psalmist say that God inhabits the praises of his people. Obviously, he's attracted in some greater degree to the exaltation of who he is and his character and his nature. And he's so attracted to that. And he comes and like takes up residence in that place when people declare his praises and his worship. We see it in Exodus chapter 33. But as we fast forward to the New Testament, time and time again, we see throughout the, the book of Acts these visitations of God. And it can't be described as, as anything less than that. Acts chapter, three, uh, Acts chapter 2, it sounds like the, the blowing of a, of a rushing, uh, rushing wind through the room. Acts chapter 4, just a few moments later, the room is shaken by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, the, the nice little service that Peter is hosting is interrupted by Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, people begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like their, his agenda went out the window. His preaching stopped. The altar call that happened right then. Acts chapter 19, something similar happens just out and about, not even in a service of any sort. It's just uh, common day, everyday expectations of the early church that Holy Spirit would show up in a moment and be demonstrated in a real way. It's the presence of God. So hopefully that helps you as we helps you a little bit understand the language that we use and why we pray the way that we pray, why we sing the way that we sing in the, in the phraseology that we use. So I'm going to take the rest of the time this morning 
to then talk about how the presence of God and our understanding of the presence of God biblically, just in terms of the gospel, how that then impacts why we do what we do around here and how we do it. Because it, it really impacts uh, much of, of how we function as a church day to day and how we do ministry, how we view ministry. First is this, is, is how we worship. This, this, concept, this, this understanding of the presence of God and its, and its um, central, centrality to our uh, faith in Jesus Christ and our relationship with him so impacts us that it affects the way that we worship. And I, I think many people, as they hang out with us, they, they realize we're really, we're really passionate about our worship. We, we love worship. And I believe God deserves excellent worship. He deserves quality worship. Not because he's necessarily impressed with it, but because he created us. And I, I believe he, de- he just deserves the, the, the greatest quality and excellence that we can muster up. But beyond that, beyond the excellence of it, this understanding of the presence of God affects our song selection. And you realize even that this, uh, even looking at the songs that we sang this morning, we, we, we like to choose songs that exalt God, that point us towards God, that yes, there's moments where we reflect on, on who we are and the things that God is doing in our lives, but worship more than anything is to point our eyes towards him. And that when people walk into this place, their faith rises to see that God is real that he is who he describes himself to be, how he's revealed himself to be, and that faith arises across a gathering of people when we exalt his name. And so our song selection reflects that. I think a lot of people take note of, of the reality that we physically express worship. Many people raise their hands. Some people get on their knees. Some people put their hands out like this. Some people dance. Some people jump. And for some, especially in the Midwest, where we're all a little bit more reserved, that can be crazy, right? Like, these people are rowdy. But as I read scripture, and as even more so, as I, I think about the implications of what we are singing, it's hard for me to, to, to grapple or wrap my mind around a worship that is not expressed physically. We're talking about a holy God set apart, and our voices are expressing that. I believe it would it, it would call for me to then express it somehow, that he is high above, that I am nothing in his presence. That's what we see in that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon's dedicating the temple. He says he lifts up his hands to heaven. And obviously that's a common, common way of expressing worship to God throughout scripture. But I feel like getting on my knees is one of the, the best ways for me to physically express my worship, and I do that regular, almost on an everyday basis. And so I encourage you, as you are exploring um, the things of God and growing in your relationship with God, to begin exp- expressing physically what your, what your mouth is saying in worship. It'll take you to a whole other level of really counting the cost for the words that you say as you express your worship to him. Some people notice in our worship that we repeat words, repeat choruses oftentimes over and over and over. And I, and I get it. Maybe you feel like that's like a new fad, but I'll actually be honest that scripturally, the song of heaven may seem very repetitive, so get used to it. (laughs) Because these heavenly creatures, they just sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's worthy to receive all honor and glory and power. And they just sing this song, and every time they sing holy, they fall on their knees before God. It never gets old. And so I've found in my own life that oftentimes I need to repeat a chorus more than once 
for the truth of those words to actually begin to sink into my soul, for me to actually begin to stop and reflect on the reality of what I'm saying as I declare worship to the Lord. So I would actually just encourage you to embrace that and allow those moments to be a moment where truth passes from theory to reality in your life. Another aspect of our worship and how this impacts the way we worship is you'll notice that in our Sunday morning gatherings and a lot of our gatherings, we give space for Holy Spirit to either move or to speak to us in our midst. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we give space, that Paul instructs us to give space for that. He says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Do not, forget, do not forbid these things. And so we, we seek to do it in a, in a decent and orderly manner. That's why we have our service hosts give instruction on it at the very beginning. But time and time again, we see that when we give space for God, he can do more in those moments than we could ever muster up in our own strength. And so Joe had shared um, quickly that reference to testimony from last week of, of an individual who received that word of knowledge and how God moved in their life. I was actually going to have Brian come forward and share that testimony Thank you. God had your number last week, Brian, eh? Evidently. Yeah. Would you just share briefly what God was doing in your life and how he spoke to you? All right. So three or four months ago, I accidentally started a new career path, right? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I had a conversation with a friend, and um, he offered me a job. And up until now, I had spent 14 years working in manufacturing. It's very safe, very stable. You know what you're doing, you know, you know all the terminology, everything is very safe, but it's boring, okay, at, at some point. And what it was holding us back from was being able to be here every week, coming to um, worship, the camaraderie, um, being filled with the Spirit, and we are dying to have that experience. Um, so when this new opportunity came along, it was in construction, you know, a little company not too far from here, but I knew the owners. And, <laughs> I knew the owners, and I knew what they stood for, and it allowed for our uh, schedule to be a lot more friendly towards coming every week, Um, but it was uncertain. Uh, I didn't know a lot about it. Um, It came with different variables as far as pay and insurance and job progression that was was fairly uncertain for me. So on this side, you have safe, secure, but holding you back. On this side, you have what you want, what you know, uh, or what you know you want, um, and what you hope for the future. So I was terrified, okay? Um, I was excited about the opportunity, but I was absolutely scared for the implications. <clears throat> My wife and I, uh, she stays home with the kids who are a single-income family. So basically, you have no room to screw up, okay? No Ever. pressure, yeah, no Ever. pressure, buddy. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and so, you know, the insurance part, the pay part, um, I kept mulling it over my head. At the old job, I had relationships outside of the work that were tied to the work, so what were the implications for that? Um, his relationships are very important to me. Um, so it would keep me up at night, was causing a lot of stress, deep anxiety, sound familiar? And, and the weeks before that, I started to notice help, uh, heart palpitations. And they started off pretty weak at first, and um, one night I noticed it was every Every 20 minutes or so, I'd have a palpitation session for like four or five minutes. Hmm. Ended up at urgent care. They hooked me up to the EKG. It was fine. Blood result or blood test came back fine. We figured out it was panic attacks. You were so worried about this that you were having panic attacks. Hmm. And shortly after that, 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, we were at a Sunday night service, and I saw the owner of the company and his wife down here at the altar worshiping. And I'm like, this is it. You need to make this decision. Okay. So I put in my two weeks notice, and everything was fine. The, the uh, panic attacks kind of uh, subsided a little bit. And until my final couple days, it was last Friday and last Saturday, hmm. I decided to take Sunday off so I could come here and hang out with my favorite people. <laughs> and, and so we come on, on Saturday or on Sunday, and, and you know, it's still a little bit of an emotional hangover from, from switching jobs and everything. And, and then Joe gets up there and talks about receiving this word. The only people that knew about my panic attacks were me and my wife. So you got a word that someone's having heart palpitations, right? Deep, deep anxiety. Hmm. And then the second part of the message, too, was that this mountain that you see ahead of you is making it into a smooth place. Wow. So now, the panic attacks, they do, they do happen sometimes, but you tell yourself, God of the universe, that literally knew that your heart was having problems, yep. has said that he'll make it a smooth place. Amen. Okay. Amen. That's pretty awesome. Amen. <laughs> Not going to lie. Amen. So, so in the week uh, since then, the insurance is taken care of. I started my first week, and I even survived pouring concrete all week, yes. so that was pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, things are looking much better. The palpitations have all but stopped. Wow. And I only look forward to them being uh, in my past and Amen. moving forward. Amen. So. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I mean... I hope you understand what I'm talking about, what's at stake. It's like people don't need another program, another good message. They need the power of God to show up and move in people's lives. And when the church, in the Western church, if we, if we can get that, we'll actually see something amazing happen in a city. And we just love to give space for that on Sunday morning. So it doesn't mean that we don't have a plan. We actually put a lot of time and effort into planning out of service and where we're going. But we have to give space for God to show up and move. And that's the presence of God. Secondly, it impacts how we pray. You'll notice that we give a high priority for, for prayer. And for us, prayer is not some religious duty. It's not an obligation. There's no pressure on any of us, no condemnation for us to spend X number of hours in prayer. We are compelled to pray because of what, we have, what we've come to see in Scripture and what we've experienced. It's like, why wouldn't we seek God for that to happen in our generation? If that's what we're reading, if, that, if that's for us, if these are the promises given to us, why wouldn't we pray like that? So it impacts how we pray. And over the last couple of years, thanks in great part to Paige McGovern and her leadership to start this a couple of years ago, we started praying over the noon lunch on Wednesdays from noon to one. You know, at first when we started, there was you know, three or four of us. Lately, we've been running around 25 to 30 joining us on Wednesdays at noon plus those that join us online through the live stream. But we're just seeing this growing hunger, this growing eagerness amongst God's people to seek his face. And that's just one hour where we're just giving space for that, to stir the pot, to stir the hunger, to point us towards God and to cry out to him to move in our generation, in our city. This is our distinctive, to be people of the presence. And it's prayer that cultivates that awareness of our desperate need for God, for him to move in a place, in a people. I mentioned last week about, about how in 2019, I really put a stake in the ground in January 2019 as, as I felt a breakthrough happen in our week of prayer. We set aside five days for prayer. Over 100 people gathered every single night in this place seeking God. 
And I, I do believe there's, there, is, there is an importance in critical mass amongst God's people. I think there's moments where one or two are called to pray or three or four are called to pray. But when there's critical mass of momentum across a group of people that actually turn their hearts towards God and repent of our apathy and repent of our self-centeredness and seek God for him to move in our generation, I believe something happens. In 20, January 2019, I felt I just put a stake in the ground. It was significant. And so all year, this has been brewing in my heart. So I came to Nicole Barnes, our, our children's director, with the crazy idea. And I said, what if for 2020... You know, I wrote the book, Discovering the Power of Prayer. What if for 2020 we write a 30-day devotional, Discovering the Power of Prayer, a 30-day devotional, and then I audaciously ask her to write a 30-day devotional for the kids. And this was already brewing in her heart, this, 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 uh, this idea of also discipling the kids and what God's stirring in the adults, that we're also discipling the kids in this. So in 2019, Nicole has been writing this material, this content. So December 2019, in, in, uh, in readiness for... January 2020, we'll be launching Discovering the Power Prayer, 30-day devotional for adults, but also for kids. And uh, I believe God's going to use it to stir something across our church and beyond to stir us to pray, to stir us to action, kingdom action, which is prayer. Amen? Amen. What's really cool about the adult devotional as well is we've been collaborating, collaborating with artists from our church to also incorporate art, creative expressions of worship in the, in the devotional itself. So it's gonna be a unique piece and uh, really excited about, I'm excited to see it in my hands and, uh, and present it to you all as well. So thirdly, this reality of God's presence impacts our motivation to pray for the miraculous. There's a reason we pray in faith for God to show up in a moment because our nice words are patting somebody on the back as they're facing crisis as they're facing extreme difficulties, does nothing for them. There's moments where we just, obviously, you're just, you're, a, you're presence to a person, and, and that does mean something to them. But as people of faith, as people of, a, of the kingdom, as we look at the example, of, we're also going to put that he commissioned us to do this in our generation. And that's been stirring in our hearts. So we see that there's moments where God just shows up to do what only he can do, to heal a body, to set things right, to mend a broken relationship, to mend a broken marriage, to soften the hardest of hearts, God and God alone can do that. And it's the presence of God that moves in in a moment. We see it in Luke chapter, five, seven, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says the power of God was present upon Jesus to heal in that moment. The people were like flocking in around him, around, around him so much so that no one else could get into this room. That's the story where they had to lower the paralytic through the ceiling. And it says, it was because the power of God was present to heal. And we pray that that would be the reality here. It wouldn't be about any person or about any method. It would just be about simply Jesus being present to heal people, to set people free. And uh, I'm really excited about what God's stirring in our church and our leadership team, that we can send people out to minister. And a couple weeks ago, we got to send Pastor Tony up to North Dakota to speak at the uh, Chi Alpha retreat up in North Dakota. Five or 600 students had gathered up there and uh, he's been continuing to hear reports of what God has done. I was going to have Pastor Tony come and share just quickly some of the testimonies that he's been receiving from his time up there. Yeah, awesome. Um, it's really neat that God gives us an opportunity to partner with him um, because as we, as we say often, he doesn't need us, but he loves to include us in what he's doing. And, and we get our minds blown. We're like, wow, God, that was so amazing. And so... Um, in our, in our day and age, anxiety and depression are, are just um, 
ravishing. Young people and um, every generation alike. Um, so, but what, I've also seen a great breakthrough in anxiety. So one of the nights there we prayed over anxiety and depression. And since then, I think um, there was five or six students that had just debilitating anxiety. They'd have to keep them, it would keep them out of school, it'd keep them from their exams and stuff. And since then, it's been a month now, they have been completely free wow. uh, from those. They've actually, a lot of them have gone off their medication uh, with the doctor's approval. And um, so that's been amazing. There was a, one a young man named McCoy who had um, this disease that I cannot pronounce. And, um, but it was a neurological degenerative disorder, it would essentially, every time he breathed, it would hurt. He had like pins and needles uh, throughout him. Uh, he'd wake up days not knowing if he was going to be able to walk that day. Um, and as a young man, he, he, he struggled with it for about 10 years. And one night, he went up for prayer, and this is, he had gone many times for prayer before in his life that God would heal him. Went up again for prayer that night, um, and nothing happened. And he went back, and he sat in his chair and he was like, God, I know you want to heal me, but feeling discouraged. And all of a sudden, he hear, heard the Holy Spirit say, go up again. Hmm. He said, oh, I just, went, I just was up there. He said, I said, go up again. And so he, he went up again. And uh, in that moment, as they were praying for him, uh, the pain in his chest left. Um, the pain in his body lifted. And uh, this is the text that he sent me. He said, for the first time in years, I don't dread every breath that I take. I can feel strength in my body. Mm. I actually am able to have a clear mind. I don't have chest pain. I don't have stomach pain. My legs don't feel heavy all the time. Wow. I can straighten my fingers without pain. I don't have pins and needles uh, feeling like it's, they're stuck in my arms. I don't have a headache. I don't have grayed out vision. Wow. I don't feel sick after every time I eat. My heart doesn't hurt every time it beats. I can stand up and feel like I'm not going to pass out. Um, my body actually feels like it's functioning the way that it was designed to function. I have the ability to truly focus. Um, I'm not drained of energy all the time, and I don't wake up in the morning wondering if I'm, wondering if I'm going to be able to walk. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. Man. I mean, that, that's the stuff you read about in the book of Acts, and God has given us that inheritance as people of the kingdom, and we, we need to contend for that in our city, in our generation, and believe that people really need to experience that, and that's, that's the answer that, that we can give them as the church. So lastly, this understanding of the presence of God, it impacts how this conviction that we have to equip everyday believers. And this, this impacts this so readily, that when we're talking about the presence of God being uh, consciously uh, a reality in, in, our, in, in you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, in the places that you go, the, place, the spheres that God brings you, that, um, that impacts how we equip you to be everyday believers. We, we desire for everyone to, to live the message of Jesus Christ seven days a week. It wouldn't just be a Sunday morning Christianity, but every, every, every person would leave this place equipped with this reality that God goes with them. And we see that commissioning of Jesus to send out disciples to be also accompanied with a promise of his presence. That he doesn't send us out naked and ill-equipped, but instead he sends us out fully equipped, filled with his Holy Spirit, because he goes with us. You see that in Matthew chapter 28 when he sends us out. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And at the end of it he says, 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's that promise of his presence. And it's not, I'm not, we're not talking about um, just sensationalism, always having to feel it, but it's a conscious reality of knowing. It's no, it's no longer just a theory, but now it's a knowing that God is with you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. This is our distinctive as a church, as, and not just us like we have a corner on it. I'm saying as people of God, as, the kingdom, as kingdom people. It's our distinctive, the presence of God, and it's been this way throughout God's redemptive plan. We see in Exodus chapter 33, this kind of standoff between Moses and God as God is calling Moses to have the courage to move forward into the promised land. He says, I don't want to go without your presence. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses knew, <laughs> he knew it was up. <laughs> and I wish we would have a greater desperation in our hearts to, to talk that boldly. Oh God, we can't go without your presence. Like we're nothing. If God doesn't show up, if God doesn't show himself to be real in a city, like we're nothing. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth are called to be light in the darkness, people of influence. And it's his presence that is central to that. And so this morning, even, even in that, I commission you to leave this place as an everyday believer. God has put something in you. His, president, his presence is resident with you. If you'd stand in this place, I want us to respond. I was gonna ask them to, he was gonna play that song, walk, walk into the room, okay, great. I wanted them to play that second song that we sang this morning. This is so uh, perfectly uh, summarizes what we talked about this morning. I want to close with this quote, one of my favorite quotes. I remember the car I was driving in 13, 14 years ago when I read this quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, whatever else it embraces, true Christian experience must always include genuine encounter with God. Without this, religion is a shadow, a reflection of reality, a cheap copy of an original once enjoyed by someone else of whom you have heard. That's the truth. We are, we're not peddling some religion. We're not peddling um, some sort of um, you know, mental ascent or just creedal adherence. We're proclaiming truth that means something for the here and for the now. It's the presence of God, God with us. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace that you've revealed here this morning. Doubtful. I know there's been several individuals that came in skeptic, doubtful, unbelieving. I've really believed that you're softening some hearts this morning, that you're showing yourself real. It's the God of mercy that's been chasing them down, the God of grace that's made a way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, even if you're listening online, you can respond this morning. I want to give an opportunity for everybody in this place to start a relationship with Christ, for you to get things right with God. If if you walked in here this morning and you, you knew things were not right, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. But if that's you here in this place and you say, Drew, I want to start a relationship with God. I want to make things right. I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my sufficiency. 
without ever turning back. I, I want that in my life. If you'd raise your hand, I want to know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody? Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. So if you raise your hand or if you're listening online and, and you want to pray this prayer, you can pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, this morning I recognize my desperate, utter need for you. There's nothing I can do to muster up right standing with you. I'm dead in my tracks. And so this morning I come to an end of myself and I throw myself before you as fully trusting in you as my sufficiency, as my savior. No turning back, Lord Jesus. And Lord, this morning I pray over every individual here that Lord, there would be a greater awareness of your daily re reality in their lives. Like people in a factory, they're stopped in their tracks because God brings them to the con convicting reality that he's real and he's pursuing them. I pray that would happen in our day and age. And that people that call Life Point Church home, they, they can't escape it. That they're just aware that you are there. I pray it in your name, Jesus. Go with us. This has been the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.